this is our game by game recap show, instant reactions after watching every single snap, diving into all the box scores and trying to highlight a few of the details you might've missed. John Daigle, some great performances, some good games, and then some teams just like failed to show up once the ball was kicked off today. A week of reporting that we need to sift through <laughs> as well as it began with David Montgomery supposedly being out. And then of course, <laughs> scoring 39 fantasy points, Josh. We love that. And Aaron Jones and Christian Watson also being in limited roles and not being reported as well. Okay, maybe we'll get to like uh grinds my gears Daigle's corner later on where he just I have it all written down. Insiders. Just call me I, on. I'm sure you do. Okay. Let's kick it off with one of the more fun contests between one of the youngest quarterbacks in the league and one of the oldest two playing very, very well. Rams versus Colts. Rams, in the end, improved to two and two on the season as they beat the Indianapolis Colts 29 to 23. Hayden, at the end of the day, 27 of 40. Matthew Stafford, 319 yards, one touchdown to go along with Kyron Williams, carrying the ball 25 times for 103 yards and two scores himself. The Rams jumped out to a 23 to zero lead here before the Colts clawed back. So let's start with the Rams here. Matthew Stafford, one of my favorite plays of the entire week was this like fourth down and he absolutely threaded the needle to Van Jefferson to pick it up. Lots of aggressive play calling early on. Really the, the story here for the Rams for fantasy purposes. Once again, is Puka Nakua who had another amazing game. It's the same old story for Puka Nakua. Look at all these in-breaking routes. A lot of tough hits over the middle, working in zone coverage. And then ultimately, once we get into overtime, Rams march down the field and Puka Nakua is left open over the middle uh, with a little coverage bus and then runs into the end zone. So that's another nine receptions, 163 yards and a touchdown for Puka Nakua. Every single record that you can possibly draw up when it comes to receptions, targets, yards in the first four games of an NFL career belong to Mr. Puka Nakua. And then spinning this forward, we had reports with Cooper Cup. He's due to come off of injured reserve going into week five. He will be practicing. McVay said that there's it's still too early to tell if Cooper Cup will be returning for week five. But the fact that he's they're going to open up his 21-day practice window does mean they think he will be back probably by week six at the latest. And that kind of lines up with the timeline. But to me, it's so clear. Puka Nakua, his physicality and his toughness over the middle, not Robert Woods role, is not going to go completely away. Will we have a legit battle between Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua for who's going to be the first read for Matthew Stafford? Certainly, but I also think Matthew Stafford's playing at a point where yeah. both of these players are going to be extremely fantasy relevant while Kyron Williams soaks up another 85, 90% snap share in the backfield, scores a couple red zone touchdowns. Just an insane stat line so far for Puka Nakua. I mean, through four games, 52 targets, 39 receptions, already at 500 yards and one touchdown. I mean, in a down week, in week three, he had five receptions for 72. And Hayden, when I was going through Retrieve Bar's worksheet, he noted that the Indianapolis Colts played the lowest amount and the lowest rate of man coverage in the league. And just going through and watching Puka, watching your episode with Steve Smith, it's so clear that he has this mind meld with Matthew Stafford at this moment of sitting into soft areas of the field. And at times we've seen Tutu Atwell be like that other member of this receiving group. Today it was Tyler Higby who also had 11 targets for five receptions in 64. Like you said, I mean, it's going to be tough sledding. 
we already think that this Rams team and defense is playing definitely exceptionally better than we expect them to. I just want to see this offense out there at full strength. And I don't almost even care about the win loss record Mm -hmm. because on a weekly basis, this team is a threat to put up 27 to 30 points on a weekly basis. Once Cooper cup returns, even without him right now. Yeah, completely. And then for Tutu Atwell, the game wasn't a big game for him. I think he only had like 25 yards. The targets were there. You still see the motions, the same type of setup that we had here. Just it wasn't working as efficiently as it was with Puka. Now, to me, the actual big storyline aside from Puka from this game was Anthony Richardson because he really had to claw back in this. The one negative with Anthony Richardson right now is there's he's going to miss some throws for, for, for accuracy purposes, certainly. But he gets a little bit too aggressive when he is running the ball. He had a fumble when he was trying to do a little bit too much. You hope someone like Robert Griffin or someone can say, hey, you need to learn when to go all out when you're running and when to kind of hold up because you want Anthony Richardson to, get, uh, to stay healthy and not take as many hits. But he obviously still dodged all the sacks, only lost four yards due to sacks this game. He had two passing touchdowns in this game, seven designed runs, 10 carries in general for 56 yards and a score, which was on a designed run. None of the uh, pass catchers got home. That was a disappointment for someone like Michael Pittman, who only had one reception here. This was a very run-heavy game plan initially, but I do think that Anthony Richardson still looks better than what I'm sure a lot of people were projecting. He certainly is getting home when it comes to fantasy. It'll be another top 10 finish for him certainly this week, and I think moving forward, he's locked into at least the top eight, but maybe even higher than that for fantasy purposes now that some of these statue quarterbacks like Joe Burrow, we can start pushing down yeah. the line for fantasy purposes. You talk about Puka's records and becoming the first player since Harlan Hill in 1954 <laughs> with three 100-yard games in his first four contests. But you wow. also look at Anthony Richardson on the other side, and now he's the first quarterback in the Super Bowl era to score a touchdown run on in his first three career games. Mm-hmm. So he also is doing special things quietly. And that's what I looked at in this game as well, is the fact that they were down big in the second half and it didn't matter whatsoever. A 35-yard touchdown pass to Mo Cox, scored on a one-yard run, a five-yard pass, touchdown pass to Drew Ogletree, and then Mm -hmm. uh, the two-point conversion went to Michael Pittman. So, Anthony Richardson still absolutely getting it done too. That the one touchdown, like his longer touchdown, he threw it with his knee barely off the ground, all arm strength. There's only a couple play, people on the entire planet that were going to make that throw, and then obviously huge yards after the catch run. It was one of those special plays, and he and then he was clearly hobbled on that when he has a two point conversion, yeah. still is working outside the pocket to convert that to Michael Pittman, but he was working through an injury momentarily. So that, that's the one thing in the back of my mind with Richardson's like, even though he's this big and stuff, yeah. he just got to protect himself just a tad a bit more. And then it's, it's lights out time for him. It's, it's a bit of the Cam Newton effect already through four mm-hmm. games and really three games, because while Cam was, you know, a battering Ram in the red zone was taking unreal hits. We haven't exactly seen that same thing from Anthony Richardson, but despite almost carrying the weight of this offense in certain ways, it does wear down at certain joints and mm-hmm. things like that. It pretty it's pretty amazing though when when you consider just to pull back up this passing chart that this can still equal 200 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, 56 rushing yards, and another score. Like this is the exact reason. While it might not look pretty when you look at where the passes are caught and the accuracy of all of them that we draft someone like Anthony Richardson because he's still going to finish as a what top six quarterback this week. Yeah, probably. And like, what's so interesting is 
he's not getting got by like scheme on the other side. Like yeah. there's not like massively just dumb interceptions from him for somebody that has as few dropbacks in his career going back to college. It's super impressive for him. And then last note for this game, Zach Moss, another one of these games where 53 of 64 offensive snaps. We'll see if Jonathan Taylor is going to be returning next week. There's, there was a report, I think from Glazer that said there's no like real, uh, trades on the schedule right now we'll see where where jonathan taylor is going to be so for jonathan taylor and cooper cup they're both coming back into circumstances and there's offenses that are much better than we would have guessed when we were actually drafting these guys in the first 24 picks i mean the the jt situation is definitely one to monitor and every single show is going to cover it because if he is off the pup list and he is healthy and this was more of a force your hand out of town, but now that is not going to happen, then we really should see Jonathan Taylor in week five. And if not, then this is a situation that still kind of is lingering for injury or for whatever reason. So it's one that it definitely is on my radar. And just finally, this was the first bad performance that we've gotten from Michael Pittman all season long. It was just five targets, one reception for 15 yards. Let's not go crazy. You know, in other games, he's had 11, 12, 11 targets, at least 56 yards, 77, 97, and a score on top of that. This is kind of just going to happen. Seven of the first nine series for the Colts started off with a run, so there could be some slight neutral pass rate differences between Minshew and Anthony Richardson. So that's something to keep an eye on once I have like the full data. Josh Downs also with a 13% target share. So I don't even blame Michael Pittman. I genuinely just bring it back to the offense struggling in the first half. Rams have Philly and Arizona in their next two games. And Indianapolis stays at home with the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay. Speaking of in division games, we go to a a 48 burger that the Buffalo Bills put on the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins versus Bills. Buffalo improves. To three and one. Dolphins drop to three and one. Some might have thought after the Dolphins start to this season, electric factory. Um, how is this spread and how are they underdogs by, I don't know, three and a half, four points? Well, they end up losing by 28 points and maybe one of the best quarterback performances we'll see from all season from Josh Allen or any passer out there. Josh Allen finished with more touchdowns and incompletions. That's wow. usually pretty good. Also, the Bills scored on eight of their first nine possessions, and a lot of it came down to the mistakes that Miami made that they just haven't made to this point of the year. Even going back to Raheem Mostert, two lost fumbles in the first half, which the Bills then capitalized on. Because honestly, to start the game in the first half, both Tua and Allen were on point. They completed together their first 12 passes they basically were both flawless but it came down to turnovers in the end and ultimately the bills getting there four sacks on Tua is extremely impressive considering we've all talked about leading up to this game that Tua doesn't take sacks because he's getting the ball out the league's quickest time from snap to throw but actually he was under duress in this one so ultimately efficiency and just not making mistakes are why the bills dominated this one well, I know that they lost Teron Armstead for a bit. They were already without Connor Williams, their center. I think it was either week one. Uh, yeah, it was week one where Tua was making throws in the face of pressure. Obviously, that becomes a bit more difficult with, you know, Leonard Floyd being a really good pass rusher here today. I guess my first question, Dagan, there's a number of things to go through, and we'll get to the Bills in a moment. With how poorly Raheem Mostert played, despite all the money in the bank that he's had through the first three weeks of the season, 
Is this just another step in the direction of an incredible run out for Devon Achan, where he gets eight carries, 101 yards, and two scores? Again, in comparison to Raheem Moser, who goes seven carries for nine yards and just three receptions for 36 yards. Like, is there already a flippening that has occurred? Achan currently, as of Sunday night, the RB4 on the week with 11 touches. And he scored a touchdown on his first two carries, both of them in this game. So it continues to be really hard to parse because obviously you would think this comes crashing back to earth at some point. But right now, the way he's schemed in this offense, I would typically worry about 180 pound back in the NFL. But the way McDaniel uses him, it just seems like we don't need to have those concerns. And you just keep starting him. This is an argument I made on the show earlier this week. You just keep starting him over guys who are getting 18 to 20 touches. Like A-Chan is more important than Josh Jacobs, Najee Harris, Alexander Madison, because those guys don't have anywhere close to the ceiling that he does on significantly right. fewer touches in this offense. I know that one of his touchdowns came on where Tyreek Hill was, this is the play right here, where Tyreek Hill's lined up as the running back, and then here comes the sweep to a-chan and like you said for somebody that's 180 pounds they're working around that and also his contact balance for somebody of that size is very strong and that's why he's been just going crazy here but just you can see how mike mcdaniel's just moving the pieces around the chessboard uh we'll see if, if jeff wilson returns and stuff but he's playing out of control football right now that he will have a very sizable role no matter what and then solve knockman might be coming back as well well, Salvin Ahmed was back in this game. So to me, mm. that means that A-Chan has already surpassed Salvin Ahmed in this lineup, which is, again, one question that we were asking. And Jeff Wilson comes back here in a little bit. But as Daigle said, like, to me, you continue to start A-Chan until yeah. they give you a reason not to. It's that sure. simple. It's yeah. that simple. Okay. On the Buffalo end, I mean, we could go in a hundred different ways. Stefan Diggs, an all-time performance of seven targets, six receptions, 120 yards, and three scores. I think what our audience might be most interested in here is, yes, James Cook finished with just 12 carries for 29 yards, but he got a touchdown run from inside of the five-yard line. Was that sticky? Was that just happenstance? Because I know that people are wanting to figure out a way for James Cook to graduate from like the running back 14 every week, and the key to that is inside the 10-yard line carries. It came – after Latavius Murray had a 29-yard run on the same drive. So ah. uh, perhaps, perhaps the veteran was still a little bit gassed. But going back to last week, week three was the first time James Cook received a carry inside the five-yard line for his entire career. So maybe there's a little bit of a trend happening where it's not full trust, but we're earning a little more trust because that's what he needs. He just needs a little more of everything to get there, including like touches in this one. But overall, he still gets there because of that touchdown. 48-yard reception uh, looks to just be a – not even a wheel around the outside, uh, just a little rollout to the left, and almost no one covers him between the number 51 getting stuck between Dawson Ox and James Cook. This is what he offers you is explosive plays. Um, and, I mean, the Bills, it's pretty amazing, Daigle. We are still at this point in week four. You put up a 48-burger, and the guy that you spend a first-round pick on, not to keep harping on this, and Dalton Kincaid still just goes four of 27, and they haven't even, like – unlock that part of the offense and it i kind of wonder if we even will need to unlock that part of the offense ran eight more routes than dawson knox today to this point of the season they had run literally the same exact amount of routes but you're still not getting anything you want out of him considering even in this game a four yard depth of target it's just not what you were promised if that's what they wanted a slot receiver i don't know why they didn't just draft a slot receiver why did they draft a tight end instead and keep them shallow 
but it works out in this game because that's how they actually started was dump offs, just content football, moving the chains wherever they were allowed to. I also saw Nate Tice, the great Nate Tice of the athletic football show mentioned that now Josh Allen has had over an 80% completion rate in his last three games against Vic Fangio, has just absolutely dominated his defense. I guess because that's the one time he takes what he gives them as opposed mm-hmm. to every time he plays the Jets the last couple of years. Yeah, I believe Jalen Phillips was out for Miami, but I think that Miami's defense, even though it's Vic Fangio's there, they just don't have that many pieces. I know that they have an amazing safety, but their corners is all backups right now. It's just it's something to exploit. Credit to Josh Allen, though. Uh, according to Next Gen Sets, yeah. his 14.2 percentage uh, completion percentage over expected was the best of his entire career. So Josh Allen is like very much at the top of this MVP uh, race for me. Yeah, and we, you mentioned about Tua's um, time to throw, Daigle. It was at 2.46, so it was still one of the quickest of the week. So, again, credit to the Buffalo Bills for they've invested so much in that pass rush, and even Von Miller was watching from the stands or the sideline, and they were still able to get home super quick in this game. And when you're this efficient, it doesn't matter, but let's just put it on notice that Josh Allen has only 10 total carries in his last three games. Like hmm. that's not what we want from our fantasy quarterback, but he still got there in this one. Yeah, and one of his best throws of the day didn't even count, which was like a rope to Khalil Shakur about 25 yards on the field, who uh, then subsequently dropped it. Okay, uh, my game sucked today, so I'm sorry every <laughs> third game we throw in there, it's going to be a buzzkill. But we'll start off with one of those in the AFC North with, I think, one of the best Lamar Jackson performances we've seen in quite some time. Ravens versus Browns. Ravens improved to three and one 28 to three victory over the Dorian Thompson Robinson led Cleveland Browns. We'll get to that in a moment because DTR was not ready to face a Mike McDonald defense. Uh, Look, the stats don't look tremendous for Lamar Jackson. 15 of 19, 186 yards, two touchdowns, did take three sacks. You know, he scored two rushing touchdowns, but on just 27 carries or excuse me, just 27 yards. But two plays like really stand out for Lamar Jackson against, on paper, the best defense in the league entering this game in week four. Early on, first and 10, they were up just seven to three inside your own 20-yard line. It was a play action with a little boot. JOK, Usukormo, scrapes over the top, one of the most athletic linebackers in the league. Lamar takes a step out of that, then up, holds on to the last moment as a linebacker is almost contacting him, flicks across his body to Mark Andrews in front of a linebacker. Andrews catches it for 10 yards, rumbles for another about 23 yards, and that drive ends in a touchdown. Very important that it wouldn't happen unless that play was made. Then a bit later on, just before the end of the first half, second and 29 in your own half of the field, 35 seconds to go. There is tremendous pocket movement. Lamar uh, escapes the pocket with a free rusher after about four or five seconds, you know, gets free on the move flick of the wrist to Zay flowers on the right sideline for a gain of 49 again, while on the move. And that drive ends with a potion stamp touchdown to Mark Andrews above all defenders that are trying to, you know, get back into the right corner of the end zone, lifting their arms up. And it's only in a place where his tight end can get it. And so again, these two plays where, Almost he's moving at a different speed or buying those extra milliseconds than the defense can account for just presents this threat that teams 
like the Browns that have faced so far just don't have that. Miles Garrett got home a couple times, but against any other quarterback, he would have been home many more occasions here. And it just, to me, showed a little specialness that Lamar Jackson had in this game, even without Odell Beckham, without J.K. Dobbins, without Rashad Bateman, and they definitely got the job done. I appreciate all football analysis, but I always prefer to bring something quantifiable to the Mm -hmm. table. Having said that, this is the third game in a row now where Lamar Jackson's stats do not represent how much command he has over this offense. He is more than comfortable in 11 personnel running Todd Munkin's offense. And he got there with two rushing touchdowns today, but even that doesn't show how ready he is to genuinely explode the moment the Ravens are actually pushed in a good matchup. That's what's so exciting. Yeah, like Hayden, this looks kind of miserable if you just looked at this where yeah. every single pass was completed within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. There were tons, you know, within five yards. But when all of you either go and watch the highlights, you're going to see, again, those special moments of magic that Lamar Jackson creates that, as Daigle said, if we ever do get a full-force offense and one maybe in week 12 or 13, then this Ravens offense can match what their defense is putting out there on the field right now, too. Yeah, I haven't really watched any of this game, but I'm looking at some of the stats. The two tackles, they combined for 11 pressures allowed. So, like, to me, like, just getting Stanley back is going to be yeah. a massive deal for them as well at left tackle. So, uh, really encouraging stuff for Lamar. That I think this this Browns defense is very for real. Um, obviously, DTR, just, like, flipping field position and, like, having staying on the field the entire game is not going to help that out. But uh, very, very cool stuff for Lamar. Yeah, let's talk about DTR because it wasn't a tremendous day for, you know, rookie late round quarterbacks who uh, played well in the preseason and then had to start in in week four. Um, DTR, 19 of 36, 121 yards, three interceptions, and was sacked four times for 48 yards. It seemed like when he was forced off his spot, Uh, He was just trying to play hero ball a bit too often. And when he moved outside of the pocket, something negative was going to happen. And it was so often these linebackers or safeties were just watching his eyes and just being a tick ahead of him breaking on the football. He had some deflected interceptions. Just nothing was like in the structure of the play, in the structure of an offense. And, you know, that means we got six receptions for 46 yards for David Njoku. Elijah Moore had a carry of negative 20 yards in this game where he tried to make something happen and then ran almost all the way back to midfield. Uh, And then again, when nothing is in the phase of a play, that's how you get Amari Cooper going six targets, one reception for 16 yards. So for like, we, we can say that Deshaun Watson isn't hitting his peak with his team so far this season, but no question he can, operate and this is so obvious to say operate this offense at a much higher level than dtr can brown's go to buy next week and then come back with the the niners so hopefully deshaun it sounds like based off the press conference will be fully back for week six and i don't and- know how much you guys put like step like numbers into this completion percentage over expectation or rush yards over expectation but just look in the bottom right hand corner of this lamar jackson at plus 21 percent of his completion rate over expectation. I think that is probably the best indicator mm-hmm. of how great his day was. 
and easy for fantasy football because it's solely Mark Andrews and Zay Flowers. That's it. On the other side of the ball for Jerome Ford, we talked about his encouraging usage last week, despite being a blowout. I would say it was the same thing again since through three quarters, he outsnapped Kareem Hunt 39 to eight and ran 26 routes to Kareem Hunt's two. I do want to note, other than that 43-yard reception, mm-hmm. Zay Flowers was nearly invisible for this entire game. And I don't know if I have the answer for how this team can incorporate him on a series-in, series-out standpoint as legitimate wide receiver. So he gets one carry for minus six yards. Again, other than a 43-yarder, which, again, in week one and week two, we had vertical shots, and those were really important plays for the game, and so was this one. So I don't want to take an explosive play from an explosive player, but then it was just two receptions for 16 yards and just four total targets. So like the Ravens didn't need a ton of offense. They were up 21 to three at halftime. They knew they had it in the bag, but again, we we are getting either everything within five yards of line of scrimmage or just not high volume to say flowers. Even if we don't have Odell Beckham and Rashad Bateman out there. And I, I think that's kind of telling with where Zay flowers is fitting in this offense. Especially moment. since just last week we had that Zay Flowers flick of a wrist 50-yard catch. Why doesn't that happen a little more often? Because he can obviously do it. Yeah. No, I, I think it's fair to wonder. And I, I just hope that the defense and Lamar can carry them right now until we get 100% Todd Monken offense uh, for the remainder of the season. Okay. More overtime. That means more Hayden Winks. And we go to the NFC East. Commanders versus Eagles. Hey, in a close one, in the end, the Commanders put up 14 points in the fourth quarter to send this one to overtime, but a Jake Elliott field goal takes the Eagles home 34-31 to with a monster day from A.J. Brown, 13 targets, 9 receptions, 175 yards, and 2 scores. Yeah, Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown were just like super explosive. A.J. Brown finishes with 13.3 total EPA on his targets. He had this huge yard after the catch touchdown. His average depth of target was 17 yards downfield. And what I was noticing on tape was lots of off zone coverage, lots of room to operate. And Jalen Hurts was way more effective on a a play-by-play basis in this one. Devontae Smith, he had one of the best high point catches of the year, but really both A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith were really picking on the first round corner, Emmanuel Forbes. That's the rookie on the commanders. I think that was really the big selling point of this game was really kind of targeting him deep downfield. So uh, we still got a, a good game out of Deandre Swift uh, and Kenny Gainwell's mixing in the two minute drill, but really when the Eagles are really explosive through the air, most of the time it's going to be going to AJ Brown, who once again asserted his dominance here. My biggest question Hayden is like with the commanders, they were only expected to score 17 and a quarter points in this game. And, you know, we kind of all build our thoughts for the week and projections based on, you know, what Vegas is telling us. And then in this game, we get 31 points in four quarters from them. How, how did we get there? What was the path to it? Was it just Sam Howell, despite taking five sacks, almost elevating and lifting in certain moments that were difficult third down conversions? Yeah. So you had, some of the bozo gene, he had this one near interception uh, in the red zone where he just threw the ball up in the air. He had five sacks, which has been a big problem for Sam Howell, obviously facing the Eagles. That's going to come into play. 
But on the flip side, we also had six scrambles from Sam Howell, very effective picking up mm. those yards when needed. And then as this uh, next gen stats is saying, his completion percentage over expected is at positive 11.3. He was throwing the ball downfield. And this is what makes me so frustrated with Ron Rivera here. They were throwing so many passes deep downfield and converting those. And when you have all this stuff aligning against a very good Eagles team and you finally get when you're down seven, you march down the field with Sam Howe, throws a strike to um, Jahan Dotson to with no time remaining. And you have the decision to go for two or to go to overtime and you don't stay aggressive and just say, we're going to play this for one play rather than going into overtime against a team that's definitely way better. You had everything clicking in the second half with Sam Howell, especially on that last drive, to not go for in that situation. Obviously, they get the ball. They punt it away. Here comes the Eagles who have that uh, that long field goal to ice the game. But that was like super frustrating to finally have everything clicking together. They had no business com- completing some of the passes that they did. Sam Howell played very good football for the most part. He still has his warts and still did not get the job done in the win column. And meanwhile, the Eagles, who were the undefeated team in this one, went forward on fourth and one in overtime. Like Mm -hmm. they were the ones who were taking on the risk, whereas the commanders that should have did not. You got the nickname Riverboat being a gambler, and now you're not even listening to your own analytics team. It's crazy. Uh, Nicholas Morrow, the linebacker next to Zach Cunningham on the Philadelphia Eagles was the guy with three sacks in this game. You know, it wasn't Jalen Carter. It wasn't Hassan Reddick. It wasn't Brandon Graham. It wasn't, it was Nicholas Morrow. I think on a bunch of delayed blitzes that probably confused some of the pass protection up front. Last note, just how the touchdowns got accumulated for Washington was hilarious. We have Curtis Samuel getting a sweep rushing touchdown early on. Brian Robinson fumbles the ball about this close and that goes to Terry McLaurin. So they're lucky that like, these are the type of breaks that the the commanders were getting here. That fumble could have easily gone to the Eagles. It goes to Terry McLaurin in a dog pile. Brian Robinson obviously scores a 15 yard touchdown to save his day. And then Jahan Dotson with literally no time left. He was going to have a disaster stat line again here gets bailed out with that play. And still you can't take all of the luck that you had here. And just go for it on two point. And also, it would be just the, the the sickest thing ever to just go for it against Philadelphia have a, in a game that you had no business being in. Uh, and obviously, you went the coward way out. Sad to see. If you remove also on the Eagles side of the ball, the fourth quarter, when Kenneth Gainwell outcarried DeAndre Swift seven to nothing last week over their other last seven quarters the past two games, DeAndre Swift has handled 75% of the team's backfield touches. It is clear because Mm -hmm. of his efficiency and explosiveness, it is his backfield until he moves out of the way. Broncos versus Bears. After Chicago leads this game 21-7 at halftime, Justin Fields playing the best football we've seen, I don't know, at least in the last four weeks. Denver and Sean Payton claw back. If you want to put it that way, Daigle, we saw some awful defense, but some solid offense at times too. This is a, you know, an offensive base show. So talk to me about it. What stood out to you here? Let's get into the end of the game first, because Matt Eberflus does move to three and 18 as the bears head coach that should headline everything. And fields completed his first 16 passes because the Broncos defense 
are paid to travel the world from 1 p to 4 p.m. every <laughs> single Sunday. It's the worst coached unit, which it's not that far ago. I understand that, but it's the worst coached unit since Urban Meyer's offense. No one, I don't even blame the players. No one has any idea where to be. And consistently, four to five times a game, there are players left wide open, up the seam, in the corners of zone defense, just running free to catch whatever pass you want. Go back and look at Cole Komet's touchdowns if you're curious as to why I have that outtake. But the Bears were up 28-7 to in the third quarter, Josh. And then Justin Fields, being Justin Fields, practically perfect to that moment, threw a reckless interception, and then Wilson returned with a four-yard touchdown to Brandon Johnson, a 13-yard touchdown in their next drive to Cortland Sutton early in the fourth, and it suddenly becomes a seven-point game. The Bears had the ball at midfield at that point when Fields was also strip-sacked for another turnover, and Jonathan Cooper returned it uh, to the 35 for the game-tying touchdown to go ahead. The Bears actually had a chance then, they get the ball back when it's a tie game, to break that tie late in the fourth quarter. But Chicago decided to go for it on fourth and one at the 18, rather than kick the field goal. And Khalil Herbert got stopped, just got stuffed at the line of scrimmage. So now, on the very next play, Russell Wilson hits Marvin Mims with a 48-yard catch down to their 33. So Denver then took the lead when Will Lutz kicked the go-ahead field goal with less than two minutes remaining. Kareem Jackson seals it at the end with the last-second interception. So in a way, you want to applaud them for going for it in a league filled with coaching mistakes and blunders we always talk about. But even if they check in with their analytics, it was actually best at that point in time with so few seconds remaining to kick the field goal. Wow. Okay. Let's get to some isolated players because mm -hmm. everyone who drafted Justin Fields as a top six quarterback wants to know if this is the jump start. Like we all said it. Everyone who gives fancy advice said, if you're going to play Justin Fields this season, it needs to be this week. The projected point suggests it and he pays off. For 28 of 35, 335, four touchdowns in the air. Yes, he takes four sacks. He also adds 25 yards on the ground. Daigle, I know we don't get the all 22 yet, but from the broadcast angle, are there building blocks to build off of now? Or like you said, is this just one of the worst defenses that we've seen throughout the league in the Denver Broncos? And we can't take much more from it than that. It's a generationally bad defense. It's the worst perhaps we've seen in the last decade, <laughs> at least. The last four quarterbacks, don't stop with fields, the last four quarterbacks, every quarterback they've faced so far, the Broncos are allowing a 78% completion rate against them. It is absolutely dreadful what's happening in Denver. I don't get it because they have so much talent in their secondary, but all these guys are just lost. One of my favorite quotes from Anthony Bourdain is to uh, go out to a bar, agree with people, and if you don't agree with them, have a drink with them anyways. These guys are just having drinks with everyone and having a time with their life because no one understands what they're doing out there. What's so crazy about this is the coaching staff has so much experience. Like, are we yeah. talking about yeah. Dan Joseph and Sean Payton? They've been in the league for 50 years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. On the opposite, and yeah, DJ Moore, by the way, gets eight receptions, 131 yards, and a score, a toe-tapper touchdown, which actually I think was a nice throw by Justin Fields. And for your, like, Rashawn Johnson fan club out there, like, it is so clear who the lead running back is on this team when Cleo Herbert gets 18 carries for 103 yards 
and Roshan Johnson gets five for for thirteen. So like, let's not have that conversation, okay? Please. On the other side, go ahead. It came. It came after a report, among many reports, that Roshan would be featured more today. Uh, as you just said, he was definitely not featured more, if at all. Okay. Speaking of backfields, we had Javante Williams leave this game with was it a hip injury? It was some yep. type of issue, and it's not Samaje Pirine who steps up. Daigle, it is Jaleel. He of Week One Red Zone touchdown McLaughlin of seven carries for seventy-two yards with a long gain of thirty-one. He also adds three receptions for thirty-two, which also is more than pass catcher Samaje Pirine. Does Sean Payton have a new personal pet favorite here? I think McLaughlin has always been his personal pet favorite. It has not been removed from my mind that a couple of weeks ago, whenever he had, they had their only running back touch inside the 10 yard line, everyone yep. was taken off the field except for McLaughlin. He's the one who came in and that was his one touch in that game. And when he got the ball, to be fair, I'm trying to parse whether it's the Broncos or whether it's the Bears defense or if he's just explosive, but he did slip some impressive tackles. Even his receiving touchdown from Russ was at the line of scrimmage and he did the rest of the way. He did all the work from that point forward. So definitely someone who will be on the top of waiver wire list, given an injury to Javante, a history of injuries now just going back to last year. But I do think he's the player we want over Samaji P. Ryan. Yeah, just looking at it, he's at five nine. 5'9", 187 from Youngstown State. So this is clearly Sean Payton's guy, like literally plucked out of nowhere. Um, what's just – well, we have to remind ourselves with these injuries. Like Javante Williams, like this is an injury that like happens when you're coming off of a massive, massive injury. And we've seen players like J.K. Dobbins, we saw with Tredavious White. Once you have these significant knee injuries – the, the likelihood of a, picking up a different type of injury, lower body, body injury, is just significantly higher. So I hope that Javante is not out too long. But it's just another reminder when you are dealing with massive injuries, the first year back is an absolute roller coaster for most times uh, than not. Someone, Josh, who is not Sean Payton's boy, though, is Marvin Mims, who finished still sixth on the team and routes run, but... With only 36 routes in the 2023 season, leads the Broncos in receiving yards. Wow. Yeah. Today adds another two receptions for 47 yards. The Denver Broncos coming up next have the New York Jets, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, by the way, going up against this generationally bad Chiefs, or excuse me, Broncos defense, in two of the next four games, the Kansas City Chiefs offense gets to go against them. So, oh, uh, oh, all, all ships ahead there. And on the Bears' end, I mean, I'm already thinking about the questions we're going to get about Justin Fields and they face the Washington Commanders this weekend. Okay, let's go to a NFC showdown here, which was just like a pit-up performance on both sides, and I'm going to run through this as quickly as possible. Vikings versus Panthers. All right, first drive of the game. Kirk Cousins throws a touchdown to Justin Jefferson. That gets called back due to penalty. So Justin, uh, excuse me, Kirk Cousins decides to attempt to throw like the longest pass you possibly can inside the red zone all the way to the front left pylon. And it gets intercepted for a pick six by Sam Franklin, who just a few plays earlier than that uh, interfered with Jordan Addison on a deep shot that was wildly underthrown by Kirk Cousins. And so he's the one that got them down there into inside the five yard line. Uh, and then Kirk Cousins also later on has... His trademark pop fly interception. And despite all of those things, 
The Vikings win this game 21 to 13. And it's because those Panthers coaching staff, like literally might be the worst in the NFL. I'm not going to go into monologue here, but all of like the concerns that Hayden and I talked about heading into this game of, okay, you can't run the football as we've seen on the Vikings over the last couple of weeks, because Brian Flores puts literally seven people in all the gaps all along the offensive line. And so the Panthers just decided, okay, when they do this, obviously we're just going to kill, kill, kill and check the play to a wide receiver screen. It's pretty obvious that this was the oh game God. plan. Look at that. And chart. all it led to was 10 receptions to the right behind the line of scrimmage. And Bryce Young was like doing his best over the middle of the field. He also had a sack fumble that was taken back for six. Not here to tell you that Bryce Young had a good game. Or I am telling you it's the most obvious thing that Thomas Brown, it is about time that he gets a hold or at least a chance of this play calling. Because the entire process for the Panthers right now is extremely slow. They break the huddle with less than 10 seconds to go. They have two play calls in the huddle at the line of scrimmage, and Bryce has to check it all and make all these calls. And it's just a, a chance of delay of game on literally every single snap. It's awful. It's putrid. Nothing's working. Play calls are slow. Pass catchers are slow. Nothing creative. And this is what you get for an 0-4 team without a first-round pick, and without truly, I would say, any hope, which is really bad to say about the team that just had the number one overall selection in the NFL draft. I'm looking at the just the running back, just to account for the offensive line. Both Chuba and Miles Sanders had negative yards before contact. So, like, to me, like, that's what you needed. That, that was what we were taking for granted. Like, the offensive line is going to be average at least and we haven't even gotten that and then now you fast forward to where are you gonna get your pass catchers moving forward and how much is Bryce Young gonna be able to not go the Joe Burrow route like he needs to do the creative stuff like it was he was gonna be like a very good distributor like some of his parts get the ball out he needs to do something that we haven't seen that much before and that's asking a lot for somebody uh that's a rookie Miles Sanders first single digit target share game of the year. And I'm just assuming that's because he was banged up. Yeah. That was another um, bad report. We got kind of like he didn't yeah, play as much. I mean, he, he, he still got, you know, 16 touches in this game. So it's sure. he was still involved, but I would say it's just because one pass protection that he was forced to stay in Daigle and two, mm -hmm. literally their pivot when they got a certain look along the defensive front was, okay, we're going to run a wide receiver screen to Adam Thielen or Terrace Marshall, who combined for 18 targets in this game. And that's it. You'll go back and watch it. That was the entire game plan here. Um, on the opposite end, because I know it was a conversation that we saw that Cam Akers was working with the first unit during pregame warmups. Alexander Madison's first three carries go for 26 yards. He ends the day with 17 carries for 95 yards. Um, Cam Akers just looks like he normally does. And other than that, like there was nothing to show for it. Jordan Addison goose eggs because of that long pass interference penalty and wasn't really, he still wasn't running in two wide receiver sets, but KJ Osborne just goes one for 16. Like the Vikings offense did nothing important here. I, mm -hmm. I want to say that it was really the Panthers getting out to a 13, seven halftime lead and then just being unable to score in the second half. And there's nothing to jumpstart here. Like all these other rookie quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryan's awesome defensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick, I think showing some stuff as a play caller. Shane Sykin, 
Indianapolis Colts. We're getting pace. We're getting fun. We're getting working around your quarterback strengths. There were stretches of series where like Bryce Young would make like a nice third down conversion showing some Bama-esque playmaking. But one, when he's trying to free himself from pass rushers that are free, either Harrison Smith working around the corner or them sending them on a blitz, that is more difficult to do in the NFL than it is Alabama. And he's paying the price for it right now. But there just aren't answers. There aren't answers. And it's going to be a long season because the next two weeks, the next two weeks, the Panthers face the Detroit Lions and the Miami Dolphins both on the road. Yeah, they'll be 0 and 6. And they that means the Bears are going to have the first and second overall pick when we're refreshing Tankathon. Yeah. For Alexander Madison, a season low snap rate and a season low share of the backfield's touches. It only goes one direction with Cam Akers being more involved moving forward. Mm. I agree. I actually didn't think that Alexander Madison played that poorly. It was probably like his best game from an explosive standpoint. He has high yards per carry, but ask your league mates if they want his yards per carry, and I guarantee you their answers will say everything. We are saying different things, but are kind of basically agreeing. We agree, yeah. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service bathrobes, and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have, and you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series, and when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right, three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. Bengals versus Titans. Speaking of bad and needing oh. a jump start, the Cincinnati Bengals are one and three. They score three points in this game. The Tennessee Titans are the worst pass defense other than the Denver Broncos in the NFL. And Joe Burrow goes out there 20 of 30 for 165 yards and gets sacked three times. Their pass block win rate was 32%, according to ESPN Seth Walder. Uh, the league averaged about 56%. So he was hit in the pocket early. He had nowhere to go. So his time to throw was like Tua-esque, 2.25 yards uh, or time after the snap. But his average depth of target, unlike Tua, was only 4.4 yards downfield. 4.4 yards downfield. They It's a all-quick game. There's no creativity they can't go under center. They can't do anything with Joe Burrow at this point. And then on top of that, T. Higgins, he has a rib fracture. They have a week seven bye week, so they have two weeks to get him back. He'll probably need a rib blocker injection to get back on the field before that. And a lot of players haven't been doing that since the Tyrod Taylor injury. So the oh. Bengals for the next two weeks could be without T. Higgins. And Jamar Chase's average depth of target for this game was 2.9 yards downfield. So... It's literally just catch the ball out of shotgun, throw the ball to Jamar Chase at the line of scrimmage and see what he can do after that. And then after the game, 
Jamar Chase was really mad. I don't know if it was at Burrow, the play calling, whatever it was, but this is the most one-dimensional offense in the NFL, and the only reason why is because Joe Burrow's calf injury, and when you watch these games, full practice, whatever, it doesn't matter. You're not tricking me at this point. Joe Burrow, I think, is going to be dealing with this for a very long time, as we saw with Dak Prescott in his career worst year a couple years ago when he was dealing with the sub. This has been way more than a month, and it's still not getting better. I don't know why it would all of a sudden get, get better over these next two weeks. So that week seven bye is going to be massive. But at that point, they can be down multiple games in the wild card race. And the AFC, we talked about it this entire offseason, is really deep across the board. We need to get the FBI on Zach Taylor for clearing Joe Burrow on Friday because very clearly this guy is not even close to being cleared, let alone not being on the injury report. The Bengals remain one of only two NFL teams that have not scored a first half touchdown this season and maybe the only team after week four if the Giants put one on the Seahawks on Monday night. This offense is just completely worthless right now because Burrow is not healthy and it's obvious to everyone but the coaching staff that like the Aaron Rodgers injury in the Jets organization, did not do their own part in strengthening their depth behind Burrow this offseason after seeing Jake Browning play in the preseason. It is their fault, no one else's. Speaking of preseason, and not to go on a tangent, we haven't had, like, despite him playing so well during NFL seasons, we haven't had a normal preseason yet for Joe Burrow at any point in his NFL career. Yeah, you're right. His rookie year, COVID training camp, there was no training camp, basically. Second year, coming off knee surgery. Third year, emergency appendectomy, which keeps him out for weeks. Fourth year, now we get this calf strain that is lingering all the way through because it's re-aggravated, so on and so forth. At some point, I think the Bengals will figure it out because as we have seen through those first three and a half years, they have figured it out and they go on to be real competition towards the end of the year when Burrow's healthy. But I am seeing more and more Bengals fans pop up on Twitter calling for Zach Taylor's head, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of gotten different versions of this offense. And I'm not sure which one now that they can turn to because it kind of seems worse than it ever has been from a, a Burrow standalone talent standpoint. I don't know what you do, though, because he he's so limited right now. Right. Like, what offense do you run? He like literally can't move. And then today, obviously, with the defensive line, they were just pressure in his face. There's nowhere to nowhere to throw the ball to except throw it immediately underneath. So I don't know what they're going to be doing. They play the Cardinals next week. Thankfully, that will probably be a game that's a little bit closer than uh, you would want it to be. But at least they have a chance to win that game. But they this is we should not pretend like this is the same Bengals team at all. Right. This team is wow. multiple, multiple, multiple tiers below where they are. Um, yeah, it was just crushing to watch this game entirely. Okay, on the opposite end, kind of looks like a vintage Derrick Henry performance with positive game scripts. He goes 22 carries for 122 yards and a score. Uh, We haven't had one of those that feels like all season long. And so it was very necessary for the people who drafted him. It really was. And it wasn't just like the box score. Like he looked like an absolute freak. This touchdown, he broke so many tackles. I think PFF gave him 10 force missed tackles on the, the day. And he, he actually had a little bit of a running start, which was which was nice to see because we haven't seen that at all. That was without Peter Skaronsky, too. But this kind of also goes to show you that, like, obviously the Bengals offense is the, the big storyline here. But the Titans scoring 27 points is also something to monitor with the Bengals defense here. So uh, Derrick Henry was the star of the show. DeAndre Hopkins had one really nice 
kind of double move down the sideline for a catch. They had ran a flea flicker that DeAndre Hopkins was kind of a little bit wobbly on that barely missed. And that would have been like a 60 yard, 50 yard touchdown, whatever it was. Uh, Ryan Tannehill looked like totally fine. Nothing too crazy here. Um, obviously no one else is getting home. We don't have to talk about Chig Aquanquo anymore on this show. No Traylon Burks here. It was just Derrick Henry making some forced missed tackles, then a couple shots downfield in the past game. And that was all she wrote, but this game, it was 24 to three going into halftime and coming out of halftime. I was curious if Joe Burrow was just going to get benched at that point. That's how bad the Bengals offense looked. Derrick Henry's rushing touchdown today, the 80th of his career tied him with Edger and James for 21st in NFL history. Nice. Raiders versus Chargers. We got another Brandon Staley fourth down decision in the fourth quarter. But despite that and a broken middle finger on his non-throwing hand, the Justin Herbert led Los Angeles Chargers do beat the Las Vegas Raiders 24 to 17. It's interesting going through these stats, Daigle, because I don't think it puts into perspective how good of a day Herbert had when he just goes 13 of 24 for 167 yards and one score. The Raiders were down 24 to seven at one point, but because they're the Chargers, we knew the Raiders would make it a game. And that's what happened. At that point, Aiden O'Connell actually egregiously launched a 50-yard pass to Jacoby Myers into triple coverage, and Myers came down with it, but they called pushing on him. So the ball came back. And that's kind of the theme of what happened today because Aiden O'Connell, the stats don't look great. And sure, there were some struggles here, but it's really about Khalil Mack just living in his kitchen all day long. Six sacks. Khalil Mack, six sacks, and now has nine sacks in three games against the Raiders and only five sacks in his 18 other career (laughs) games with the Chargers. This is where he makes his money in L.A. right now. And it was so obvious, too. Anytime O'Connell dropped back, he just had to deal with duress. Does he hold on to the ball too long? Probably a little bit. His processing is a little slow for a day three rookie in his first career start. But nonetheless, it was the Chargers defense that didn't have Bosa or Derwin James that pretty much got it done today. And it ends with a 51 yard pass to Josh Palmer when kind of the Chargers needed at least just one more first down to run out the clock. Raiders fans are going to argue that was offensive pass interference while Jacoby Myers was called for offensive pass interference early on uh, and flagged for it. Yeah. I mean, six sacks. He had eight all of last season for Cleo Mack. My question is, Hey, defensive lineman get at me. I'll tell you that you haven't performed well in the last two years like I did for Cleo Mack, <laughs> and you'll have a six-sack game. Like, get in my DMs. We'll figure something out, a little compensation, and uh, it'll give a little extra motivation uh, for the next time out. So good on Cleo Mack for, for doing that. That's awesome. You mentioned Brandon Staley's fourth down. I thought Josh McDaniel, again, running into a fourth down situation was more egregious because Devontae oh. Adams basically caught a touchdown at the end, and... I think I agree that maybe you don't challenge ever third and one when you're on fourth and one, because you can probably make up that yard most of the time. I think it's like a 70% conversion rate, but it was a touchdown with less than two minutes remaining. McDaniel didn't challenge. Then they go for it. So you lose a little bit of that time you score and then you kick the extra point rather than going for two, like the Packers and a couple other teams have already taught us so far this year. You just follow the analytics. So it seems like Josh McDaniel, 
more so is the one well, who just doesn't get it at the end at all. Well, I, the Chargers won. They were in their own half yeah. by quite a bit. And they just try to do this tush push. And each week we learn that this is a skill, like how the Eagles are able to do it so easily week to week. The rest of the team is trying to replicate it, have not mastered it even close, even close. Mm -hmm. And especially when your quarterback has a huge brace on his middle finger and can't grasp the football or shove I mean, it over his finger Herbert's fingers in the fourth quarter were literally split by mm -hmm. a whole measuring stick it was crazy Dagle, do you want to ask about the Chargers offense because this is the yeah. first one without Mike Williams Quentin Johnson does come into the starting lineup kind of even though we saw like a lot of Darius Davis as like the manufactured touch player behind the line of scrimmage yeah. but we haven't we didn't see the same amount of production now I will say Justin Herbert's average depth of throw in this game was massive at 12 yards, which in comparison to last year is wildly different. But Keenan Allen does get a touchdown, but we're not seeing like the same exact volume from him. Again, just three for 32 and a score. Josh Palmer, three receptions, 77 yards. Quentin Johnson, one for 18. So like, again, this is just one tiny sample, but the passing success wasn't nearly what we have seen in other Kellen Moore called games with Mike Williams involved. Not even close. Herbert was just barely over 100 yards passing in the fourth quarter. He was only getting there in fantasy because of his rushing touchdowns inside the five-yard line, which is not Herbert's calling card whatsoever. That's why he got there. At the same time, Kelly did look good. This was the first time he's looked explosive since week one. You disagree. I think he had a couple explosive runs. It was not just one run, Josh. No, he had a 22-yarder. He went 17 to 65. I would have taken that all day the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't count the last two weeks. That's not fair. But yeah, I, it, it's it's one the, just just quickly on Quentin Johnston. And I don't want to just isolate one play, but there was one along the left sideline where he saw single coverage against David Long, I believe, who's like four inches shorter than he is. Yeah. And it was a lofted ball that we've seen Mike Williams come down with in each of the first three weeks and dating back the last three seasons for Mike Williams and Quentin Johnson just can't make that play in one-on-one contest situations. And if you're going to fulfill that role in this offense and earn like a full-time player status, you need to make that play. And he didn't. And there just weren't many opportunities to make them in this game today. For the exact numbers for everyone, Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer ran the same number of routes out there for practically every single one of Herbert's dropbacks. Quentin Johnston in on 72% of routes because he doesn't go away. He still has to play in three wide sets because they're not going to go to Darius Davis outside of those purposeful touches you mentioned earlier. And the fact they have their bye next week, I do wonder if he returns with more of a role. Hmm. Patriots versus Cowboys. Wolf. Another quick one. Dallas beats the Patriots 38 to three Mac Jones does not play in the entire fourth quarter. We can call it a benching because he went 12 of 21, 150 yards, two interceptions, a sack fumble that also went for a touchdown. Um, and Bailey Zappi comes in and, and doesn't move the needle. Anyways, just quickly on Dallas's end, uh, early on Christian Gonzalez, the nice rookie corner for the Patriots leaves with an injury on the very next snap. CeeDee Lamb gets split out wide in isolated coverage against Marcus Jones, who's normally an inside corner. Unfair. Touchdown immediately. Later on for the Patriots, they also lose Matt Judon to an elbow injury, which arguably their two best defenders to open the season. Um, 
speaking of to open the season, I would argue like Mac Jones has not been a miserable football player. Today he was. And I don't know if he's trying to play hero ball, but like the floor fell out from this offense incredibly from that. Again, I think two defensive scores in this game that the Cowboys put out there. Uh, and I'm almost shockingly, and probably because he didn't play for the entire fourth quarter, that means we didn't get a ton of rushing effort from Tony Pollard, just 11 carries for 47 yards. But in the receiving game, you know, Jake Ferguson does go seven for 77. Uh, it's it's just, uh, you know, when you get two defensive scores, like the the stats for individual players never meet the total of 38 points, and that's kind of just what we got here. Jake Ferguson, that dude, I don't know when the hell to start him. I don't know when you draft him in Battle Royale, but he's still top five among all tight ends and target per route mm-hmm. run. When he's out there and the Cowboys are forced to pass, at some point he's going to go like Julio Jones and no one's going to see it coming. But all he does is earn targets. He's going to be top five in usage like over the course of the season after, after I do, do it this week. And I think he's a good player. Dating back to last year, this preseason, we've seen glimpses of it. I think he just like ran as bad as you can for these first yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, real quick, uh, my note for the Patriots, 18 quarterback pressures in this game. Yeah. I mean, that is just, that's, it's impossible to win. Impossible. And it probably doesn't matter, but Bill Belichick did come out after the game and say, when he was asked about Mac Jones benching, he said it wasn't a benching. There was just no need for him to be out there anymore. You take that, whatever you want to, however you want it, to. Yeah. And I mean, look, they have no investment into Bailey Zappi either, who they cut after training camp and literally any team could have claimed him if they wanted to. So like, let's not get on this Bailey yeah. Zappi, no. Kyle Allen train again. You know, like we don't need to have that discourse over and over. It was just an awful, awful game for Mac Jones trying to do too much, throw across his body. Like there was one series where, it was a, I think, second and 16, and he rolls to his right and for absolutely no reason does throw it across his body and it converts to Kendrick Bourne. Then five plays later, he tries to do it again, and the cornerback this time reads it and returns it for mm-hmm. a touchdown. It's almost kind of like the, I think, like the Panthers in a bit, where how their team and offense is constructed at this moment from a lack of explosiveness and lack of talent perspective, there's no margin for error. And there's a lot of errors, either offensive line penalties from Michael and Winwu, or, mm-hmm. you know, turnovers from the quarterback. And so if that's the case, in order to win, you have to play error free football. And neither of those teams are doing that right now. Dale, who do you have in a 11 uh, person, 11 personnel relay race, the Panthers or the Patriots? It'd be close. <laughs> it would be close. Uh, Panthers would catch more balls, but they would not be as fast. I, that's a bad. I hope they don't play each other at any point this year. I mean, shoot, we got one reception from Juju, one reception from Mike Gesicki. We got the report prior from yes. Rapsheet saying that Dude. Ezekiel Elliott was going to have starter reps in this game. He didn't even start the game. Didn't Ramon play on the first drive. Game. Right. Ramondre Stevenson did. He gets the 14 carries. It only goes for 30 yards, but then Zeke goes six for 16. Like neither are doing anything right now, but we don't need extra words suggesting one thing when it's not going to happen. And given their split and backfield touches the past two games, I attributed last week to the rain. And I thought that's why they handed the ball off to Zeke so much. But after this week, yes, I am very much panicking about Ramondre's usage and sealing the rest of season. Falcons versus Jaguars. Sunday morning kicked off with the Jaguars being the Atlanta Falcons 23 to seven. 
Desmond Ritter cannot play. Went Duh. 19 of 31, 191 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, including a pick six, took four sacks on top of that. On Jacksonville's end, though, we did get an early Calvin Ridley touchdown on a miscommunication between A.J. Terrell and I believe it was Jesse Bates that left Calvin Ridley open beyond that. But after that, Ridley was barely involved, and it kind of turned, I thought, Daigle back into the 2022 version of the Jaguars, where it was a bunch of horizontal passes to both Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, who both finished with at least seven receptions and Kirk is back up to 84 yards while Evan Ingram gets 59. It's been so concentrated too without Zay Jones, the past couple of games, but we have seen still is Christian Kirk begin dominating targets again in week one, Calvin Ridley, 34% target share Christian Kirk at 9.3% his lowest rate since week five last year. But in the last three games, a monumental shift, Calvin Ridley, only 14.5% of the team's targets. Christian Kirk at 29.7%, getting it done every single week in fantasy. Yeah, I just need to watch this game. I, I know on the the one touchdown, it was a busted coverage between Terrell and Jesse Bates. So I'm curious if they were trying to do a little bit of a bracket type of situation, but that's probably excuse making, so I'll just, I'll just watch this game. Question, maybe Zay Jones really does matter for this offense because what we have gotten the last two weeks is again back to winning football that it was last year in a way, but the same again, you can see all these passes are basically less than 10 yards and lateral sideways and not vertical shots that we were expecting Calvin really to take the roof off this offense. It makes sense a little bit. I think the, the Jaguars biggest issue right now is I, the pass game will like iron itself out. Obviously the their rushing success in this game was miserable once again they're early they had 22 carries on uh first and second downs they had an 18 percent success rate i mean wow. that's e that's etn that's the run blocking that's that's everything included there so we can't have jacksonville be super one-dimensional but they haven't been able to run the ball in any of the games really and, and seven of these points were defensive so the offense yep. wasn't even good yet again yeah Okay, speaking of not good, Falcons, Jonu Smith is the leading receiver with six receptions for 95 yards. Drake London does get a touchdown. Bijan Robinson does go over 100 yards because of a nice 38-yard run. But this has to be the time that Arthur Smith moves away from Desmond Ritter. Like, we still do not know what Arthur Smith is as an NFL head coach. Because what we have gotten through two seasons was broken Matt Ryan, then Marcus Mariota last year, and then now Desmond Ritter this season. But in a way, that does teach us a little bit about Arthur Smith and maybe what he prioritizes. Because I don't know how this team could look at Desmond Ritter in the preseason, in the offseason, during last year and say, okay, we are going into this make or break third season as head coach and general manager with this guy. And now that it probably is worst case scenario at this point, because I don't know if you can point to three plays for Desmond Ritter and be like, yeah, this is going to be good for the rest of the season. And I'm not a Taylor Heineke guy, but I think you have to pivot to him to at least try to expand everything from here. Try to. I completely agree. Like, at least Taylor Heineke, like make some plays scrambling around. Like, Desmond Ritter doesn't even do that. Like he, he just always is taking hits and falling down with them. And yeah, the passing game's out of control right now. So 
to me, yeah, to me, this would be the time get on the, that plane, tell Heineke you're the guy and start getting in that playbook and start changing up the scheme. Cause the bucks aren't separating themselves. The, the, the saints aren't separating themselves. Like the NFC South is somewhat still up for grabs and you have the Texans and the commanders and then the bucks and the Titans and the Vikings and the Cardinals after that. Like yeah. this is a stretch of six games that if you go four and two, you're basically like locking up mm-hmm. the playoffs and I don't know how, again, you can review the film despite maybe whatever optimism was in-house this offseason and say, yes, Desmond gives us the best chance of doing that. Big-time throws for PFF. Desmond has two on the season. Turnover-worthy plays, 10. Two to 10. Yeah. 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 Tyler Algier, closer to droppable than startable when the bye weeks come up. We've seen Bijan Robinson now increase his share of the team's running back carries in every single game, including 66% in this one. Also, there is no skeleton key. This is why I fight the good fight and say I hate short hacking on YouTube because it's lies to you. But if you want to look at one stat, Jonu Smith has literally doubled Kyle Pitts in yards per route run this year. Yeah, I think that's a great point on Tyler Algier because I bought into it a bit too much in week one saying, hey, this backfield might have two flex plays. And it's so obvious that teams now and maybe the Panthers won it's week one. We don't know anything. And two didn't know that you could just like try to force Desmond River to beat you because once you at least slow down for periods of time, this rushing attack, um, that's only going to limit them into one phase. And that is B. John Robinson for sure. Lions versus Packers lions on Thursday night, beat the green Bay Packers 34 to 20 improve to three and one. And we got our guy. David Montgomery with the freaking hat trick on 32 carries for 120 yards, three touchdowns, five brews, be damned. Hayden, that's the story of this entire game. It has to be that DeMont continues to own this backfield. They were honest with us. That's why we watched the press conferences. And it's why David Montgomery, despite not playing a single snap in this preseason, will end up being one of the best values in all of fantasy football. Turns out this this year's Jamal Williams is the guy that's replacing him for more money. So, yeah, I, I don't know where I would rank him rest of the season, but it's not that far from top 10. Dave Montgomery now has averaged 23 carries through two games and three quarters with the Lions. If you exclude the fourth quarter against Seattle whenever he was injured, he's handled 81% of the team's backfield touches overall, or the team's running back carries overall. Yeah, and, and again, Jameer Gibbs... I think his role in this offense will continue to expand by maybe two or three touches per game, Mm -hmm. but it's never, never going to be a part and get to the time where Jameer Gibbs, when both are healthy is the one a versus Dave Montgomery being the one B they, they just play and have very different skill sets that are important to this team. And Dave Montgomery's are extremely valuable for a team that is super honest with their running back usage. I love when teams are super honest with their running back usage. Because it makes it obvious to all of us, and it should have been obvious to all of you with Dave Montgomery. I will say the big thing that worries me with with Jameer at this point is Amon Ra is going to get his, obviously. They're going to scheme him up the ball on top of that. Sam Laporta looks like legitimately like a very good NFL player already. He's going to get his touches. And Jameer Gibbs right now, his EPA per target, and obviously they had that pick six, which is going to knock him down. It's negative 0.4. All the other guys I'm listing, Sam Laporta, Josh Reynolds, Amon Ross St. Brown, Khalif Raymond, they're positive 0.4. So, like, why throw the ball to Jameer Gibbs right now when you can just throw the ball to Amon Ra and Sam Laporta, 
who are just better receivers than what Jameer Gibbs has given you at this point. Question, Daigle. We get Jamison Williams back this week. Shockingly, that news comes out of nowhere. How are you factoring in Jamison Williams into the equation with the Detroit Lions? Because Hayden and I might have a different opinion than you. I'm not. Uh, how can Same. you... How can you factor in someone in the offense that even the team didn't want him to factor in the offense? They literally told him to go out there and play in the preseason because he was so bad in camp, out of shape, dropping balls. He gets out there and he's still bad in the preseason and gets injured. How can you literally consider him a factor right now? You have to continue flexing Josh Reynolds over the bye weeks. Yes, you do. I, I, I think that is a tremendous point. I wouldn't be as harsh on it. I would say because Jameson Williams, I, Ben Johnson's such a good play caller that Jameson Williams is going to have like three long touchdowns this season. Sure. They're just going to be incredibly and entirely unpredictable. And to me, as Hayden was outlining, it's going to be impossible to know when that volume is going to happen because he's not going to be a volume player in this offense. I will say this. Josh Reynolds, 80 yards, 66 yards, zero yards playing through an injury, and then 69 yards. I mean, that's like legit. That's not nothing. Yeah. Hayden and I have a side bet from the offseason on oh, it's not good for either of us. <laughs> who scores more points per game between Juju and Jameson? And I'm not sure anyone wins, to be quite honest oh, with you. Man. I win. I, I, I win yeah. that one between both of you. I don't really have anything to say about the Packers. Um, I mean, it was Lies. 27 to 3 at halftime. So all the stats here are are just total lies. It was great to see Christian Watson get out there again. Because, you know, Jordan Love has been accurate on these deeper passes. But, man, I mean, when you're offensive line, and Dave Bakhtiari is missing for the entire remainder of the season. And Elton Jenkins, their second-best offensive lineman, is injured. And this Lions defense, I know they had, like, a down week somewhere in there. I can't remember who the opponent was. But we've been citing these stats of they were a laughing stock last year. They rounded out into decent form. And then now, as these younger players are now being attacking from different positions, like Aiden Hutchinson as an interior rusher at times, and Jack Campbell getting up to speed at the NFL level. Hopefully, Brian Branch's injury isn't a big deal. Like, this Lions team might be really complete, really complete as the season goes along. Aaron, Aaron Jones would reportedly not be limited. He doesn't even play the second half. Christian Watson limited as well as Romeo Dobbs sees double-digit targets again. Uh, whatever, man. Week four. Yeah. Oh, David's going to go on a vendetta for all these NFL what? insiders. Lies. I think Jordan loves not seeing the field very well. And I'm, I'm a little bit oh, worried yeah. that he, he wasn't getting away with some fluky touchdowns early on the season. And if you actually took it like play by play, I'm very worried about how Jordan loves processing right now. Cardinals versus 49ers. The Cardinals are growing on some people. Uh, there was a period in this third quarter where the game was super tight, 16 to 21 with the 49ers taking the lead. But in the end, a 14-point fourth quarter, which the 49ers are very accustomed of doing, means that this game ends 35 to 16. Brock Purdy goes 20 of 21 for 283 in a score. Christian McCaffrey has four touchdowns in this game. 20 carries, 106 yards, seven catches for 71. And... Maybe most notably, we get a healthy Brain Ayuk back in our lives, and that equals six receptions for 148 yards with two fingertip grabs that were outstanding down the field. Debo Samuel actually ran more routes than Brandon Ayuk, too, but you wouldn't know it because it was all Christian McCaffrey and Ayuk in this game. 
we're flipping coins. Like all these guys will have big weeks and then some of them will dead out except Christian McCaffrey, who right now has a top seven Inevitable. start for the first four weeks of the season. Only seven running backs NFL history have scored as many half PPR points as he has. It's the best start of his entire career. And we could be looking at like a borderline. Like he, I think he might get some MVP votes if he keeps this thing up. Jordan Mason didn't play until the last drive whenever they were icing the oh, game. Really? Uh, Brock Purdy's completion percentage over expected today against the Cardinals at plus 28% is the highest mark by a quarterback with at least 20 pass attempts in the game over the last seven plus seasons. There we go. Pretty remarkable. Um, okay. Quickly on the Cardinals end, rookie Michael Wilson does pop up here for seven receptions for 76 yards and two scores. Again, the Cardinals are fun. They're going to compete, I think, for a stretch of every single game, nearly every single game. But I don't want people to like take this out of hand because, again, they were projected for 14 and three quarters points. They scored 16 points today. The spread was 14. They lost by 19. So we kind of got what we expect to get with the Cardinals, which is a well-coached unit. Even Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were, were saying that. But they just don't have the dudes right now to, I would say, keep with really good teams or even solid teams for four quarters at this moment. The 49ers only covered to steal my rent, by the way, at the end of the game with Brock Purdy sneak touchdown. So calm down. The 49, the Cardinals are hanging in there. Also Marquise Brown remains flexible. If not a wide receiver three, every single week, last three mm -hmm. games. Now 30% of the team's Cardinals targets and remains explosive enough to keep getting there. Yeah. And look, that comment isn't to say that like, the Cardinals are one of the worst teams in the league. They're they're definitely not. Like Josh Jobs is out there making some plays and they are well coached and they're doing some fun stuff as we're seeing on a weekly basis with some of their play calls. And James Conner's like running harder than any running back out there. You know, Josh Jobs actually brings us 48 rushing yards in this game too. And as yeah. you're saying, like we see some wide receiver ones evaporate on bad teams across the league. That's not happening to Marquise Brown at all, you know? So at least this is keeping us afloat, but I, I just don't want to get carried away with this Cardinals team. And I think some people might be. Through the first month last year, I think Geno Smith was very easily the best story of the NFL. Through four weeks this year, I think Josh Dobbs is a prime contender because he has a good soul, too. Every single time you listen mm -hmm. to an interview, he's just a good kid out there trying to let his team hang around, and he's frisky enough to make it happen every single week. Steelers versus Texans. Maybe... Some of my Cardinals comments come with a bit of bias because I think the Houston Texans should kind of be America's favorite underdog. Sure. Uh, right now, they are 500. They are two and two as they beat the brakes off the Pittsburgh Steelers. 30 to six in this game. We get over 100 total yards for Damian Pierce. 106, or excuse me, eight to be exact. CJ Stroud, 16 of 30. For 306 yards, 16 completions for 306 yards and two scores, zero sacks taken behind that messed up offensive line facing TJ Watt. And it almost all goes to Nico Collins, nine targets, seven receptions, 168 yards and two scores. If you just look at what Nico Collins has done since like week eight, once Brandon Cooks got the hell out of there in this offense, he's like averaging almost double digit targets. And then this year, 11 targets, 10 targets, three targets in a huge win. And then this this week, nine targets. And man, his targets are absolutely legit. Post routes, in-breaking routes, go balls. They'll get him in the quick game on occasion as well. To me, he looks like a legit X wide receiver out there. And that's why Steve Smith and I are going to be breaking down 
CJ Stroud, Nico Collins, and Tank Dell this week. I think Nico Collins is one of the better stories of the year. Very predictable breakout, but it's also kind of a little bit of a throwback breakout because like this big body, kind of a traits-based player that didn't have everything going together. But now that he's got the offensive coordinator and the quarterback to unleash him, yeah. and he's stepping into his own form, I think that this, we should be taking this very serious for Nico Collins and CJ Stroud to me. He looks like he's on the path to getting to that Joe Burrow type of tier. Uh, and it's happening way quicker without his two offensive tackles. Who And we had Larry Mintunzel tweet today that Titus Howard and Larry Mintunzel might be returning to the lineup next week. This team could be competing for the playoffs. How about that? Flip the script with Tank Dell today, given that Dell led the team in target share the past two weeks without Noah Brown. Nico Collins was third behind Robert Woods, actually. But today, obviously, Nico at the top. Tank Dell had a single-digit target share today. Yeah, I mean, they lost the first two games of the season. They've won the last two against the Jaguars and the Steelers. The Texans get the Atlanta Falcons next, coming off a big loss by them. Um, I mean, Hayden, I, I asked you this in our wide receiver tiers and rankings video of like why Tank Dell behind Nico Collins when both were in the same offense and both performing. And you had a great answer, and you stayed with it during our Sunday morning Q&A sessions. Uh, so credit to you with that because, again – it's so cool to see a guy like Nico, like you said, who's a face planter, but man, what CJ is doing to attack like those middle of the field areas or outside breakers and the placement that he continues to have from his Ohio state days, the NFL days, uh, Hayden, just a minute. Um, what do you think about the S two test? I can't believe like it, that we had it dialed that it should have been CJ Stroud first overall. We were initially right, and the Panthers are going to be paying the price for that. How about that? Well, I I, I don't want to get it's on. It's fair Bryce to compare Young. Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, and Bryce Young. I think it's fair. Yeah, but I don't want to call any of them a bust. I'm Stroud not, Stroud has progressed more in four games than Kenny Pickett has in two seasons so far, and it's very that clear. Is true. Uh, even. Oh, yeah. The Texans were up 16 to nothing before Fryermuth and Pickett got injured in this game. That's not to blame here. It's because mm-hmm. the Texans are the better team than the Steelers, who have no options on offense whatsoever. If you have Najee Harris in fantasy football, you're just stuck with him because mm-hmm. Jalen Warren literally outscored him today, 11.5 PPR points to 11.3, and has outscored him every single week through four games into the season. Yeah insane stuff. Uh, Pickett's probably going to miss, I would guess a couple weeks here with this knee injury. Um, yeah, they're down horrendous. We'll see if they're, if Matt can Canada survives this one. Tomlin said that like they're for sure going to go through some changes. I don't know what those changes would be aside from the injury to the quarterback. Maybe they finally pull the trigger with Matt Canada, but uh, last night, CJ Stroud, second most passing yards in the first four games of an NFL career, only trailing Cam Newton. Hell we yeah. really should have kind of seen this one coming too, because if you have a Demico Ryan's led defense, awesome defensive coordinator against a Matt Canada, almost one trick pony esque offense. Then you kind of, I think get this. Uh, I gave you praise on Nico Collins, Hayden, uh, George Pickens three for 25 on seven targets. Not so good. Yeah, it happens. We're talking about boom, bust wide receiver threes. Yeah. I, I think the jury's still out on George Pickens, but I feel like I'm the only person saying that in football. I think he's got he's certainly got his warts, but yeah, I, I need to watch this game to see what was going on. And Damian Pierce had a touchdown strip from him on the first drive, a little screen pass. Shaq Mason called for illegal man downfield. So uh could have been an even better day for Damian Pierce. But I love this. Like when you have this 
positive game script we'll talk about in stats versus film, 24 carries for Damian Pierce. Love it. Absolutely love it. Buccaneers versus Saints. Yeah, the Bucs improved to three and one. Beat the Saints with Derek Carr shockingly starting this game. 26 to nine. Uh, Baker Mayfield, again, makes some of these like ridiculous extended plays, finishing 25 of 32, 246, three scores. And away, I think this game is a bit defined by Mike Evans leaving with a hamstring injury, and that forced him just for three for 40. But in his absence, a guy who has not had a big spike week so far this year, Chris Godwin, steps up for eight for 114. I do think it's also noteworthy that Chris Olave hits a season low in target share on the other side of the ball in a game that Alvin Kamara, it's his first one active this week, 38% target share, obviously not sustainable. And because Derek Carr, like Joe Burrow, should not have been in this game yes. whatsoever, but still noteworthy. Look at that passing chart. It was the first time in NFL history that a player has caught 13 passes for under 34 yards, which Alvin Kamara had. The next closest on 13 receptions, the fewest, was 70 yards. So like, this was like an, a complete outlier performance, I think very much because they – tough guide Derek Carr yeah. and for no reason you have Jameis Winston that's that's more than fine well Zero it's seven. also why PPR is Satan's game to be honest with you mm-hmm. like how would Alvin Kamara deservedly get 13 points for just going 33 mm-hmm. yards on those catches like and to be honest you just talked about with Jalen Warren outscoring Najee Harris in the last yeah. game that we spoke about that shouldn't happen either when Najee Harris gets 71 rushing yards and Jalen Warren just catches six passes for 26 yards. Like, again, if you show up to the gates of heaven and you have only played PPR leagues in your life, they're just going to say, hey, go straight to hell. <laughs> go straight to hell. It's Satan's game. 13 points you get from a 33-yard performance from Alvin Kamara. Get out of here. If you've watched Najee Harris play professional football, you would think Jalen Warren would outscore him every time, to be fair. Also, Kamara still... 84 yards on 24 touches, also not good. Uh, just to help you out your argument a little bit more. I will say Alvin Kamara does have like the profile of a fantasy, like I, I don't want to say league winner because the Saints offense, I think is going to go through it. But with Jamal out and Kendry is just not a part of this Pass. offense at all. He played uh, Alvin Kamara 49 of 65 snaps in his return. So yeah, it's tough, but he's he's got the usage, man. And I, I know Baker kind of hit the wall last week against the Philadelphia Eagles, but man, this is three of four really strong performances from a guy who I can't stand to watch. But again, it's completing passes he shouldn't. It's buying time in the pocket. He is feeling pressure, I think, this year better than he ever has previously. And it it, it shows up in, in the win-loss column for them. Just one sack taken and like this reshuffled offensive line, I think, is playing at a a decently high level. Again, the Bucks right now are three and one and coming up on their schedule. It's the Lions and the Falcons and the Bills and the Texans. So it's like well, uh, another four game stretch where we learn a lot if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are like, obviously they're probably NFC South favorites, but if they're like legit NFC contenders. The thing that we need to ban aside from PPR is four team divisions. Like these, these teams, like the, the NFC South team, like that gets a home home game in the playoffs and stuff is just like ridiculous. We need oh. to at least get this to divisions. All right. That's going to do it for us. We have covered every single game here on the Thursday and Sunday slate. John Daigle, 
waiver wire is going to be a big, big deal. Jaleel McLaughlin headlining it. Just kidding. Uh, Talk to me. Tell the people what you have coming up on Monday and Tuesday. I don't know if you are kidding, quite honestly. Jaleel McLaughlin (laughs) will be high up there, but also to account for all the other injuries we talked about, Mike Evans most recently included. You can still use the promo code Daigle at 444.com for 25% off. I understand it feels like we've already been through mine landmines, uh, lots of war already in fantasy football, but it's still so early. You have to remember how long this season is. So 25% off promo code Daigle. All right. Hey, now we'll be back on Tuesday for your favorite show of the week, Stats versus Film. Thank you to Producer Weaves. Thank you for Daigle. And thanks to Hayden, as always. I'm Josh up the Villa. We'll talk to you all soon.